it was around me a lot, just through aunties, through uncles, mom and dad. Rock and roll was pretty integral. They would do weekend parties, and uh, we had lots of friends. Our parents were pretty young, and their uh, brothers and sisters were young or whatever. My aunties and uncles were young. So we had a lot of young people around when I was young, and there was always a big party. And basically it surrounded music was, was, was the reason the party was happening, you know? That's how the party was live. So I noticed from a really early age that everyone's kind of like joy came from the rock and roll. So I don't know, I guess uh, from time immemorial for me, rock and roll was present. Um, as far as musicians, I didn't have a whole bunch of musicians in my family. I had one uncle that was a little more of a distant uncle, um, my dad's brother that played a whole bunch and was really hip, really cool. And I caught him in, in a back room one time, set up playing with like an electronic drum set, and like a track and, and, and tape machines and guitar and doing all this stuff. Um, I was pretty young though. I was probably seven years old, but I remember looking in there and going, oh my God, this is really, really cool. And he was kind of pulling out the drums and pushing in the guitar and vice versa, you know, just bringing things in on the mixer, kind of, my mind was kind of trying to rationalize how this recording thing, how it all happens in that box. And I remember feeling really influenced then. Um, but it was two years later that I picked up a guitar still. For me, it was maybe 11 years old. Um, then I had another uncle uh, on, on uh, my mom remarried and, and on his her husband's side an uncle that played guitar and he could play the beginning of a lot of songs and had head of this rad catalog and had this rad pedigree for rock and roll a super rush fan huge Zeppelin guy and he really groomed me from that age from about seven years old on just kind of being awesome and sitting around with him and watching him pick a guitar up and play the beginning of Stairway to Heaven or play some Pink Floyd or play a little bit of Rush. I remember just being really inspired. And um, he was one of the first people that really showed me a lot of stuff uh, when I was like 11 years old. So that was kind of the beginning for me. I figured out, but I got together with a drummer friend of mine that was a little bit older. And um, I wanted to write immediately. So I was only thir 13 years old or whatever. I was pretty fresh to the instrument. But uh, I immediately wanted to write, not only play other people's songs, but write stuff. So getting together with somebody else was definitely a gateway for that, for me. So that's what we did. I had a bunch of different ideas. We got together in our garage and banged out a bunch of ideas at about 13 and got that like bug to want to write and create. I think in high school, uh, sophomore year, I got together with some guys and it was actually like a real band, a group of guys we gigged. And, recorded and, and wrote together and spent a lot of time together. That was a real band, a group called uh, the Fuzzy Shamrocks. It's really appropriate with the outfit I'm wearing right now. <laughs> My Irish blood. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, I think sophomore year, when we really started to bang it out, and I kept that going and it evolved into getting together with other musicians from that group into another group that ended up lasting through high school, a group called Mother's Dirt, that took me all the way through high school. We gigged everywhere constantly, probably just just playing like the high school and desert parties that was up in the uh, Hesperia, the high desert, Apple Valley, Victorville, and uh, we would just throw these huge desert parties or play at people's houses or anything we could do, really. Um, and that took me through high school, 
that band became another group called Society's Engine, and that band moved to Huntington Beach, California, and that band gigged and played with all sorts of people from Orange County. We did probably three or four gigs a week sometimes. Um, that took me into a group called Human Lab that signed to Atlantic Records, and um, essentially I did a whole bunch of things in between there, things, uh, like a group called Fantastic Planet, and some real free form kind of jazz freak out with some friends in uh, Long Beach, and then um, really cut to the chase is what really brought me to the Rival Sons. Um, I was uh, kind of on my own after this Atlantic deal had gone south. It was a really big deal, and we, we got a whole bunch of money. It made a really good record, but uh, the business was basically like, a, a building burning, uh, a, a, a burning building, sorry. Um, it was burning down the business, you know what I mean? We'd walk into labels and, and there would be f not just people getting fired, but like floors getting leveled, floors getting emptied out. The, the um, business was going down at the time, you know? And we just couldn't, we couldn't swim in that climate. It was just not gonna work, so we got, essentially, we kind of got dropped, but not really. We ended up suing the label to leave because they wouldn't give us a release date or put us on tour. Um, so I left and was kind of happy to start something fresh and pined for uh, a year and a half before I met a singer friend of mine named Thomas Flowers, great guy, great singer. And uh, we worked together and made a band called The Black Summer Crush. And essentially the way that came together was me and Thomas playing. I had met Miley, who's now the Rival Suns drummer, through a mutual friend. So Miley was part of this Black Summer Crush. He found the bass player at a jazz gig at Isaac Hayes' home. And um, that was the Black Summer Crush. Robin Everhart, Michael Miley, myself, and, and Tom Flowers. And we signed to EMI, made a record. Again, the record didn't come out. And um, that record um, kind of was still alive when I came across Jay Buchanan. And when I came across Jay, I didn't know who he was, where he was from or anything. I just kind of found him innocently surfing around on the internet. And um, I immediately knew this, this was the cat that I've been looking for for a long time, for, for years for me. Just just the way I, um, the way I see kind of the makeup of how a band should, should interact in rock and roll, you know? It's, uh, it's got to have a lot of blues, a lot of soul, and it's really difficult to find singers that weren't overly posturing. It was really difficult to not find guys that were, uh, to, to find guys that were actually from this folk, blues, soul era. Kind of like the old days, you know? If you look back to the, the first cats like, like uh, Paul Rogers or, or, or Robert Plant or Van Morrison, or any of these first real huge rock gods, the guys that kind of paved the way, they were kind of soul singers first, right? Blues singers, that's what they came from. Rock and roll wasn't even, it was barely a thing yet. You've got like Steve Marriott singing up high, so that's who Robert Plant knows he can look at, you know? Otherwise, he's imitating, you know, American black singers. This is what they're doing. And, um, I saw Jay as somebody that very, very much, very genuinely and honestly was coming from there. And it was li literally a needle in a haystack. So I went, this is the cat I have to work with. This is where my heart lies. I can, I can write with this guy and he'll understand. 
and I immediately called Miley after finding him and um, said, I have a guy. I have the guy that's like, this is we've been waiting to complete this group. You know, I think we can actually, we'll have mobility now. We're going to have momentum and move forward with this. If we get this cat, and um, he goes, okay, what's his name? I said, Jay Buchanan. He's laughing. Jay Buchanan is not going to join our band. He's one of my best friends. He's a folk singer. He's a singer-songwriter. He's got his whole own deal. Doesn't join bands. Doesn't care. He's on his own trip. He's good in his own right. Doesn't join bands. And I said, whatever. We have like labels waiting, songs, opportunities. I don't see what he's doing. I haven't really looked into it, but this is a really good group of people. Just call them up for me. So it took a good handful of weeks for Miley to bother Jay and continually hit him and me to check in with Miley and go, did you talk to that Buchanan guy yet? Because the band's not going anywhere until I talk to that guy. And um, eventually Jay did call me and um, we were very much, uh, you know, our own kind of artists, but very, very much kindred also and felt very, I think, connected, you know, very kindred at the same time immediately. And we spoke about the blues and soul music and uh, why, what, what happened to rock and roll. You know, he was wondering, why would you even want to do a rock and roll band? And I had my own mission statement about rock blues and its role. And there's no more dance to the rock and roll. There's no more blues to rock and roll. And he uh, agreed. He agreed and we agreed on a lot of things. So we decided we should get together and play. So we did and we played and it, I mean, I had the record I talked about on EMI with the Black Summer Crush that I sent him. There's a bunch of stuff that I mostly wrote with the producer or the band wrote together in the room, but I had to write all these lyrics and melodies really, which I didn't want to do. I really wanted to uh, work with somebody, have a foil, someone to bounce off. So Jay learned a couple songs on that record. We got together, played those couple songs, but that would only be about five minutes of material, you know? So we spent another 45 minutes without speaking, improvising, and just talking how musicians talk. You don't speak, you don't talk about changes or tempos or feels. You just do the feel you feel, and you work with the people in the room and have that musical conversation, and that's kind of how it went for us the first time. And it was really right the very first time. And we kind of took a break, went very little talking, but okay. Well, this is pretty fun. This is actually working out really well. Let's get together again, you know, in, in a week or something. And we got together again, and it was the same thing. It was probably even better. We were even more locked into each other, at which point when we came out of the room, um, Jay just looked up at me after me wanting him so bad to be in this band and knowing he was right for it. He looked up at me after we had the second meeting and went, I guess we're gonna do this band thing. <laughs> That's what he told me and I went, yeah, we're doing the band thing. Kind of like, I knew we were gonna do this band thing all along. It's just right, you know? It's like, uh, uh, without being overly romantic or ridiculous, you know you're in the right place and the right things are happening and the pieces are falling, you know? Uh, it could be like meeting a, a girl or being somewhere particular, like a deja vu. This is what, what it was like for me, like, this is it. This is the thing. This is the thing I've been waiting for. Here it comes. There's no way it's gonna fail. It's almost like I've already seen it happen. I had very little doubt in, in um, him coming to the group 
and us having some momentum. So we did. And um, at that time it was Jay Buchanan, Robin Everhart, myself, and Michael Miley. And we decided we would not solicit anyone for anything. We had all been signed to major labels, we had all toured, we had all done the game since we were teenagers. And flyers, word of mouth, just selling the shit out of your own art. Something that's so true to you. We sold it and sold it. You hear about all these bands from all different parts of the world. That's what they do. You go out with your buddies. In the old days, you make like five billion flyers. You go to the good shows, you fly your cars. You go hand-to-hand -hand combat at the good shows. Now it's internet, but it used to be flyers then, and that's I was a part of that world. And um, we decided not to do that. We're not gonna do that. We all have friends and people we know. We'll put the word out on the street when we're gonna do a show, and people will come, and we'll put music out around randomly. People will hear it, and if they like it, they'll come. And if the industry likes it, they'll come, and they will come because there's a bunch of bullshit rock and roll being made and we're gonna make something very, very much genuine, very honest, and we're gonna do it better than the next guy, period. This is the kind of bravado that the band, you know, without being egomaniacs, without an ego, you got no rock and roll band. You know, I think everybody was just very confident and sure of each other. And um, that's what we did. And our first show, a friend of ours came to us that promoted the House of Blues in LA, uh, uh, gave us a Friday night, for free and gave us a stack of tickets and said just fill the room and we went yeah we'll fill the room so we did and we filled the room and uh, word had gotten out to CAA creative artists and frontline management and uh, Irving Azoff's people and a manager came out that manager was Tom Consolo never solicited anybody never did anything but make music and play shows without being ridiculous and selling it off too hard and he came and immediately wanted to, to sign us or manage us. So we went with him. And immediately now we're part of the Irving Azoff umbrella of music, which um, I can go on and on, but that's very much the beginning of how the Rival Sons became a professional working acting band, in a nutshell. Well, I'll say in the, in the, in the lineage of everything, you know, we made uh, four records and then uh, uh, parted ways with our bass player. He left the road. We stayed on the road constantly. We haven't left the road really since the band started up with Tom and we signed to Eric and um, have been working. So we just never stop. You know, we've got kids and wives and stuff like that. And um, amidst all that, our bass player, Rob, he just couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. The, the transient nature of touring, the beat down, touring out of vans, making just bleeding money. Not only not making money, bleeding money, and um, it's just—it's a tough, tough thing. My brothers that have done it will uh, testify the same way. It's a very difficult thing to do. But amidst all that, he left. Didn't speak to the devil. My, Sorry. My my brother Dave Bessie walks, and I was just about to mention him. He—he uh, he leaves uh, right after one of our largest, the largest European tour we had done to date. Like we're actually starting to draw and make a name for ourselves, and he decides I quit. We had a tour with Sammy Hagar lined up. We had a day, another set of European dates already lined up, and we're like, okay, we're in trouble. We can't back out of these dates. Financially, we can't, and we don't want to, want to back out. So luckily, uh, our first uh, thought was to, to hit up our brother, Dave Bestie, who had played with all sorts of great people, and that's what we did. We hit him up, first guy, and he uh, 
was very interested and, and it was just a good fit. So I'm going to cut to the chase there very quickly when we got together and talked. It was a perfect fit. So now the rival sons, myself, Jay Buchanan, Michael Miley, and now Dave Bestie. We made two more records now and uh, it's this lineup and it's grown exponentially every time for us. Um, amidst, the, amidst all this growing about almost a year ago now or something, we played a classic rock awards show in LA and um, it's just all famous people that really, you know, it's, we're playing to our heroes. It's like a, a, a it's, it's basically just a show for all the famous people to get together and high five from, you know, the 60s to now. And uh, there's not really very many regular people there. So we played this show. And um, in the front row, we're sharing us. We played two songs. And, uh, so thankfully, we got a, a standing ovation from our heroes. And our good friend Sammy Hagar was hosting. I think he made a mention to Sharon Ozzy after the show. He told Sharon Ozzy, I, ho I hope you guys were listening. And they were listening and they ended up coming backstage and, and both said uh, how much they appreciated the band and loved the band. And they basically invited us out to this tour. On the spot we were going, first, there's a Black Sabbath tour coming up. Whoa, that's news. Second, you want us to do it? We'll do it. So. Um, We've done it. We've been out here since January, almost a little over half a year, something like that. So here we are.